0: Amen. Please be seated. If you have a copy of God's word with you, I invite you to open up to the epistle of 1 John chapter 3, where we will continue our study of this book as we continue to uh, see what John has to say about us being assured that we have eternal life. This evening we'll be focused on chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, but I'll start reading in verse 10, since that connects uh, the previous texts with our text this evening. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, this is the word of God. By this is, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Thus far the reading of God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that it is for the building up of the saints for equipping us for every good work. We ask now that as we come to your word to see what it says to us, that you would help us to understand, that you would show us this great need that we have to love one another and that you would even produce this love in us so that we might be like our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name, amen. Amen. as we've been going through this epistle of 1 John, we've seen time and time again that the apostle has, has brought these various things out to us that he wants us to take note of and he wants us to compare our lives to. You remember back in chapter 1, he talked about walking in the light and he reminded us that Christian people should be walking in the light even as God is in the light. We should be walking in uh, the pathways of God, the ways which which God desires for us to walk and walk according to God's word. And then John reminds us, of course, that thing which we know very well ourselves that none of us do this perfectly. We all sin. Indeed if we claim that we haven't sinned. Well, there's another thing wrong with us because we're lying and the truth is not in us. Well, and then John points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one to whom we, we must turn in faith and trust to be forgiven of our sins. Christ, our, our advocate and our propitiation. And when we know Christ, when we're trusting in him, he does such a work in our hearts by his Holy Spirit that we are, are moved To obey him. Uh, We are encouraged. We are are compelled even. And then John comes in chapter 2 verse 7. To this commandment. Which we have the commandment. uh, Which this evening we will look at in a little bit more depth. The commandment to love one another. This is an evidence of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Loving one another. Loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ. And then as we come to chapter 3, John begins this whole section on membership in the family of God. He reminds us uh, that those who are trusting in Christ are the adopted children of God. They have the Father's love set upon them, and this is a love which does not leave us where we are, but but changes us, conforms us, and when Christ returns, we're going to be changed utterly and completely. And then last week, we saw John setting out for us this idea that uh, Christians are the children of God, but there's another group of people out there, the, the children of the devil. So John begins this detailed section on a contrast of two different families, a family which has uh, the Lord God as their father and a family which has the devil as their father. Why is this all important? Well, verse 10 is the connection between last week and this week. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. John ushers us into the section on being in the family of God, being evidenced by our love for the brother's which he contrasts again for us by showing us that not only is there a family that has God as their father and the devil, another family that has the devil as their father, but a family which has Christ as their elder brother or a family which has Cain as their elder brother. And he wants us to examine our lives according to all of these things so that we can once again know whether we have eternal life. John, in this section of verses 11 through 18, reminds us that Christians love the brethren, and this is a great assurance of our place in the family of God, and it's an imitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, our elder brother. You, if you are trusting in Christ, are called to love the brethren so that you may be assured of your place in God's family, and so that you may imitate the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll look at this text under three different headings. First, we see that there is a call to love, a reminder of this necessity for Christians to love in verses 11 through 13. And then we'll see that this love is assuring. We have the assurance from love in verses 14 and 15. And then finally, we'll see uh, what John says about the sacrifice of love in verses 16 through 18, that sacrifice which is modeled, set forth by the Lord Jesus Christ in his great sacrifice for us. And so we see a call and assurance and sacrifice all here in this text. With that in mind, let us see what the Lord has for us in his word. Look at verse 11 of chapter three. John writes there. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And so in this section where John presents to us the call to love, we see here in this first verse, in verse eleven, the call proper. That is the call set forward to us in very clear and distinct ways. John says this is a message we have heard from the beginning. And this reminds us of what he said back in chapter two uh, yes, chapter two, verse seven excuse me, that we be loving each other. And that's what John says that this message, which we have had, says. We should love one another. It's a command, which isn't a command. It's an exhortation. And it includes John himself. What he's saying to the reader here, what he's saying to you this evening is, Christians are given this message from the Lord God. We all need to love each other. You, me, all of us. If we belong to the family of God, let us be loving each other, writer and reader, all who belong to the church. John reminds us here that Christians are obligated to obey uh, the second table of God's law. That which is uh, all contained in, and that condensed statement, love your neighbour as yourself. Christians are to do this. We are to, to love one another, We're to care for one another. We are obligated, as members of the family, to look out for our brothers and our sisters, to help each other. And even as he reminds us of this call that we're to love one another, he reminds us of the exact opposite of what we are called to do. Verses 12, and then with a kind of an extension of that, in verse 13, where he gives us a negative example. In fact, one of of the most distinct, one of the starkest of negative examples. He gives us a negative example of Cain. Look at verse 12. John, after just saying we should love one another, then says we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. He gives us this illustration of Cain, I think for, for several reasons. First, we must remember that Cain was, at the point where he was offering sacrifices to God before he, he killed Abel, was a member of, Of the people of God. He was the first covenant child. Cain was born to believing parents. Presumably Adam and Eve. Raised him in the nurture. And admonition of the Lord. As they could pointing him. To the Lord God saying. We are supposed to worship God. He's the one who made us. We sinned and we fell short. And so we were thrust out of the garden. But the Lord very graciously has still been our God. He didn't kick us out and say, I don't want anything more to do with you. No, he, he sacrificed and he clothed us and he still commands us to worship him. Cain, you must worship the Lord. He's worthy of that worship. And so Cain was a member of the church. He was taught to worship. But if you remember uh, the story of Cain that we see there in Genesis, Cain did not worship uh, the Lord God the way that God wanted him, uh, the way that God wanted to be worshiped. No, it seems that Cain decided that he would do what he wanted to do and God could just go ahead and accept whatever it was that Cain thought God should accept. Remember that Cain offered just the fruits of the ground which he had harvested while Abel is the one who offered the acceptable sacrifice of the lamb. And so Cain, as we saw last week, decided to practice lawlessness. Lawlessness to not do what God had commanded, to not worship in an acceptable way. And so then Cain is proved to be a child of the devil, a member of the church by all evidences, and then shown to be a child of the devil who Christ says was a murderer from the beginning. In John chapter eight, Cain murdered his brother Abel. He killed him. And John Reminds us of why he did this. John asked the rhetorical question. And why did he, that is Cain, murder him, Abel? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain murdered, or the Greek word here actually indicates slaughter. It's a very brutal word. It's only used a couple of times. Cain commits an atrocity because he was evil. And his brother was righteous. Abel proved himself to be a member of God's family. And Cain proves himself to be a member of the devil's family. And so John reminds us, we are not to be like that in any way, shape, or form. We who are are bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shouldn't be acting like the devil. We shouldn't be acting like Cain. These are the the archetypes, uh, the paradigms of wickedness. And Christ does not want his people to be like that. The Father does not want his people to be like that. We are called to be completely different than that. We're called to love. And it's interesting, John gives us this uh, little phrase there in verse 14. We shouldn't be surprised if the world hates us. In light of the fact that Cain killed Abel, we should not be surprised if the world hates us. Cain should have had some natural affection for his brother which prevented him from murdering him and yet that did not prevent Cain's wickedness from manifesting itself. And so why would we be surprised if the world, which should not have any natural affection for us at all since we're not related to them in any way, shape, or form, why should we be surprised if they hate us? And yet I think so often we are, aren't we? When we see opposition to Christ, when we see opposition to the church, when we ourselves experience opposition in even the smallest of ways, I think that shocks us very often. But we should remember that if Cain killed his own brother, the world should really hate us. If we are following after the Lord Jesus Christ, if our deeds are righteous, then why would we be surprised at those whose deeds are wicked that they hate us? We shouldn't. We shouldn't. We should, however, see these as great evidences. And that's where John leads us in the next section. In verses 14 through 15, he tells us that these uh, behaviors are great evidences of our status, of where we are, how we, how we stand before God, whether or not we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior or whether or not we have to stand before God on our own. Verses 14 through 15, we see that there is great assurance in our love for the brethren. Look at verse 14. John writes there, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers he says we know this is an incredibly strong statement isn't it john doesn't say we have a 95% certainty he doesn't say well we can be pretty sure no he says that love for one another true christian love For the brothers is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life. It's evidence that the Lord Jesus Christ has has washed you with his blood. And he's changed your heart. And he's put this love which he had for you in your heart so you can love all of his other people. John says... But this is incredibly strong evidence. It's interesting, uh, the Apostle Paul does something very similar when he addresses uh, the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that he's so thankful for them because their faith is evident. He's heard that their faith is evident and he's heard that they love the saints. Paul can be confident in, in the salvation of the Colossians there at that church in Colossae because they have faith in Christ and that faith is demonstrated by their love for the brethren. This love is, is great assurance. Maybe some of you have taken one of those DNA tests to see what your ancestry is. Maybe you had family stories that, oh, you know, we're, were part uh, Cherokee or some other of the Native American tribes, or, you no, know, our family, all of our heritage is from Germany or something like that. So you took one of these DNA tests and it either confirmed something about your heritage or it did not and you actually have no Cherokee in you whatsoever, as my family discovered. This love, which Christians have for one another, is kind of like a a spiritual DNA test. It shows us what our ancestry is, as it were. It shows us whether or not we have God as our Father and Christ as our Savior and elder brother, and the Spirit living in us. It shows us who our family is. How? Why? Why does it it do this? Because the kind of love which Christians are to have for one another, as we'll see further in this text, is not something which we can conjure up ourselves. Is it? See, we all come from different places, different cultures, different walks of life. And then, after we've trusted in Christ and we've been brought into the church, we're all placed together and we end up finding out that there are people we get along with very well and we would be friends with probably even outside the church and there's other people that we think, well, I don't, Don't really know that I would get along with them very well outside of the church. But the amazing thing is, by the grace of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can love those people whom we would really not have any kind of relationship with outside of Christ. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not something that we've worked up in ourselves, conjured up in ourselves forced ourselves to do. No, we, we look at this person and we say, that's my brother, that's my sister. It's one of those amazing things where when you go out of town and you go visit another church, you can automatically have this sense of a famili- a, a, a familiarness, a family resemblance, love for each other. It's, it's bizarre, outside of the fact that it's the Spirit working it in us. Because here you are in a completely different place amongst complete, total strangers, and yet you look at them and you say, this person loves the Lord Jesus Christ. They're my brother. This person loves to worship God. She's my, she's my sister. And it's because of the Spirit working in us that we are able to do this. But John contrasts again in these verses between those who love the brethren and those who not who do not. If you look at verses, excuse me, uh, the end of verse 14 and 15, John writes there that whoever does not love abides in death, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know, know that no murderer has eternal life. Abiding in him. John is not merely bringing this out uh, as a rhetorical device. This is, is a deep and penetrating spiritual truth. If you are not loving the brethren, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. You abide in death. Why, children, can a rock love someone or something? If you go outside right now and pick up a rock, and you say, hey, rock, do you love me? Is that rock gonna say yes? Is it gonna say anything at all? No, it's a rock. The Bible says that those who are still dead in their trespasses and sins have a heart made of rock, a heart of stone. And it requires the work of God to take that heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh, a beating heart, a heart filled with affection and love. The Holy Spirit does this, and when he does this, produces love. A heart of stone cannot love the brethren, but a heart of flesh can, and it does. And this is why John makes this contrast. If you don't love, you abide in death. Not loving the brethren isn't this neutral thing. It's evidence that you are not in the family of God. And not loving the brethren can so easily lead into hating others. A hate which is equal to murder. A hate which which emulates the hatred of Cain for his brother. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Not loving is so easily uh, falling into hatred because of our sin engaging in the same attitude and actions as the devil and Cain and, and so John reminds us of this to call us to attention to remind us of the great need which we have for the Holy Spirit to, to work this love in us and to cause us to love the brethren we need the Spirit's work and praise the Lord, the Spirit does work because of the love of God towards men, which is, we see in our next section after John reminds us of the call to love and after he reminds us of the assurance which comes from loving the brethren, he reminds us of what this love actually is, what it looks like. In short, it looks like Jesus. Verses 16 through 18, the sacrifice of love, John writes there, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. The greatest example of love is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know what kind of love you ought to have for one another? Look no further than the cross of Christ. At Calvary. Do you want to love the brethren? Look to the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he love? John writes here He laid down his life for us, he loved us sacrificially in giving himself for us, he loved us abundantly. We sinned against the holy, holy, holy God. Cosmic treason. And yet, what does Christ do? He sacrifices himself for us out of love. Christ loved abundantly. Christ's love was constant. He didn't begin loving us and then come to earth and then at the garden say, you know what, never mind, this is too difficult. These people aren't worth it. They're going to keep sinning. No, his love was constant his desire to do the father's will to save those upon whom the love of god was set did not go away christ didn't run away he loved sacrificially he loved abundantly he loved constantly and who did he love john says he laid down his life for us he loved sinners he loved people who were not part of the natural family of god but rebels against God. Cain hated his natural brother and killed him. Christ loved those who were not naturally part of the family of God, and he laid down his life for them. The contrast here that John sets before us is as different as night and day. Lord Jesus Christ loved. In a comparison to the love of Christ Christ, can hardly say that anything else in this world is love. Because Christ loved so much. This love of Christ is what induced the hymn writer to write, My song is love unknown, the Savior's love to me. Love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. Oh, who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail frail flesh and die? Christ's love is love indeed. And John says that's how we ought to love each other. We ought to love sacrificially, even as Christ did. We have to give ourselves for one another. Helping one another. Building each other up. Encouraging one another. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John says, "says this, this is a high calling. This is a hard thing to do. How are we to do this? Who who is sufficient? We're not, but the Lord Jesus Christ gives great gifts to His church. He has sent His Holy Spirit." who works this love in our hearts so that we might love one another even as Christ has loved us. John says we ought to love sacrificially. We ought also to love generously. In verse 17, John writes, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We're to love generously. God has not given us belongings, things. God has not given us money and want not to hoard for ourselves and spend only on our own enjoyment. Now, that does not mean that God does not bless us so that we might have enjoyment. But what it does mean is that we are not supposed to be focused on ourselves only. We are also to help take care of those who need actual real help. Just an illustration to point this out. If you have a closet full of coats and jackets and someone, a, a brother, sister in Christ, walked into this church in the middle of winter and didn't have any coat or jacket, is it loving of you to go up to them and say, oh, I'm so sorry you don't have a jacket. Hopefully you'll get one soon. No. You have a whole entire closet full. The Lord has blessed you and given you abundance. And he calls us to sacrifice and be generous to those. We could give our brother a jacket as it were. So we are to love sacrificially and generously. John says we're to love actively and not just verbally. And verse 18, he writes, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Love is not just verbally showing affection. Love is not just going up to your brother or sister in Christ and saying, oh, I love you. I think we should do that. It can be a little weird maybe in our culture, but it's one of those things where I think it's only weird if we make it weird. We can express our love for one another, but John says that's not the extent of love. We're to love in deed and in truth. Not just saying something, but but showing it. Caring for one another. Helping one another. Spending time with one another taking care of one another. This is the sacrifice of love which we are called to to emulate the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think this leads us to the question, do I love? Do you? Do you love the brethren? This is an important question. If the answer is yes, then We praise the Lord for that. We have great evidence of our salvation when we love the brothers. And this is something which which we should seek uh, evidence for. Do you love the brethren? Men, when you go to the Saturday morning men's breakfast, are you going just because of the bacon? Or are you going to spend time with the brothers to fellowship with each other to uh, be iron sharpening iron bacon is very good a blessing from God surely but an even greater blessing is the fellowship of the saints and loving one another and demonstrating it the same thing with with women and and the women's groups or young men and boys night young girls and, and girls night are you going because you just want to go have fun or are you going to fellowship with your fellow believers? Or are you going to help each other on the road to heaven? Pointing each other to the Lord Jesus Christ. Encouraging one another and building each other up. I think this is an important question for us to ask. Are we loving one another or are we just seeking our own enjoyment through these things? Let us love one another. And How can we do this? Maybe some practical things I think when we look at verse 17 we see John talking about seeing our brother in need very often I think our minds go immediately to physical things do we see our, our brothers and sisters hungry they need food well let's feed them uh, do they need clothing Well, let's help take care of that uh, Did they need uh, financial help to pay some bills while they get back on their feet or something. We tend to think more in terms of the physical, but do we see our brothers and sisters in need spiritually? I think this is something which we ought to be looking for as well so that we can love each other. When we see each other struggling in in some way, shape, or form spiritually, what are we doing to love them? Are we pointing them to Christ? Are we encouraging them? Are we praying for them? Are we seeking to minister to them? I I think these are all important things for us to consider and and seek to do. And I think a group of people that we should consider especially, a a group of people that we need to practice loving more, people like shut-ins, people in nursing homes. There are dear believers who are separated from, from the fellowship of the saints. We should be seeking to love them as well as those whom we see every Lord's Day and many times in between. Several things for us to consider. We need to practice loving all of our brothers and sisters because Christ loved us, because it brings great joy to us, but also because it glorifies God brings glory to him. John has showed us in this text that we are indeed called to love one another in order to show us or remind us of this love so that we can, we can see it in our own lives and be assured of our status as a child of God, a, a younger sibling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's done this to point us once again to Christ, the great sacrifice of Love. So, dear saints, let me conclude with this. We have heard this message. Let us love one another. Let's do this, not only in word, but also in deed and truth, so that we might glorify our Savior and our Father in heaven. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we do thank you. For your word, Lord, we thank you for the great love which you showed that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord Jesus, your great sacrifice shows us the great beauty of your love towards us. Help us to glorify you for that, Lord, and help us to love one another. You've called us to do this, Lord. We know that in our own power it is impossible, but through you all things are possible. We do pray that you would stir us up to love and good works by your Holy Spirit so that we might glorify you. We do pray in Christ's name. Amen.